Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad each one of you are here. Uh, a couple announcements that I'd like to make. And um, New Hope Family Services, they have a fundraiser every year, and it's a dinner at Burdick um, in their conference room. And this year, the speaker is going to be Benjamin Watson, who is an NFL MVP. He and I were good friends when we played together. No, I'm just joking. But he was an NFL MVP. And um, So if you're able to come, I'd encourage you to do so. We'll put a poster in the bulletin board uh, as well. And also, there's a sign-up sheet uh, out in the foyer for the adult dinner night out. And it's going to be Tuesday, the 14th of July at the retreat. And so if you are able to come, sign up. And I think that's it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us true freedom, causes us to be born of the Spirit, and gives us the assurance of eternal life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would come and bless us and encourage us through your word this morning, that as we study your word, it might not only mature us in you, but also give us just the strength and the willingness to be your ministers, to be your ambassadors in this world. And so now, Father, I pray and ask for your anointing because I am so aware on my own I have nothing. But with and through you, I have your word to share. And so anoint me as I preach your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, it was interesting. Yesterday, of course, we celebrated the 4th of July, the independence of our nation. And I'm uh, very, very thankful for the independence of our nation because you and I have a freedom that many other nations don't have. And, and you know what that is? It's evangelism. We have the freedom to go and share our faith with whomever we have opportunity to. I mean, that's a beautiful freedom that we have. And as long as we have that freedom, we can be very thankful because you never know how long any kind of freedom is going to last. And uh, yesterday also, when we celebrated Independence Day, we celebrated my mother-in-law's 99th birthday. And, uh, well, it was really interesting, too, because I was thinking uh, of the whole celebration of her birthday, and uh, there's not very many of her generation left. When she and her husband, my father-in-law, were 19 years old, Brooklyn, New York, they got married. Three weeks after they were married, my father-in-law was shipped overseas during World War II, they didn't see each other for three years. Can you imagine? That's why Tom Brokaw wrote a book called The Great Generation. That was a great generation. And uh, so it's absolutely amazing to think about the, the men and women that have given of themselves and even their lives for our independence. And, uh, of course, as I said, the greatest independence we have is to be able to celebrate the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the freedom to share that same victory with others. Because the thing that's wonderful is Scripture tells us anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love that it's all-inclusive, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So this morning, we are in Numbers chapter 27, Numbers chapter 27, I'll be covering verses 1 through 11, and Pastor Frank Jr. will pick up after that. Numbers 
Now, one of the things you're going to find about this portion of Scripture in Numbers chapter uh, 27, verses 1 through 11, is this is the first historical account of women's rights that we have formally been established and written as law. Isn't that amazing? And um, as we look at the Bible, so many wrongfully believe that the Bible is a very chauvinistic book. And it takes away from women's rights. You know, women are, are treated as second-class citizens. That's absolutely wrong. Because as we're going to read in this portion, you have documented equality given for women way back while they're still in the wilderness. But I, I'd like you to turn to Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Galatians, chapter 27. And I'm going to, um, I'm sorry, it's going to be verse 27, Galatians 3. If you find chapter 27 in Galatians, let me know. You have an interesting Bible. Okay, Galatians chapter 3, and picking up with verse 27. And I love this, because this includes all of us. In Galatians 3, starting with verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ doesn't look at the church as being groups, you know, broken down. He looks at the church as one. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. Now, moving on to our portion, Numbers chapter 27, starting with verse 1. Numbers chapter 27, verse 1. Then the daughters of Zelophad, the son of Hephar, the son of Gilead, the son of Machar, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the sons, uh, son of Joseph. And these were the names of the daughters. And, and these are the names of the daughters. And Mahala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they stood, before Mo, they stood before Moses and before Eleazar, the high priest, and before the leaders in all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meetings. That was the most holy place you could stand. Saying, our father died in the wilderness... But he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah. We all know about Korah's rebellion. Pastor Frank Jr. spoke on that. But he died in his own sins, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among the families? Because he had no son. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, the daughters of Zeolophad uh, had spoke, uh, uh, had, I'm sorry, um, had, the daughters of Zeolophad, oh, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. 
If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father's brothers have no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family. And he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute, that means it's a law, uh, of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So here you have the daughters of Zeolophat, and they come to him, and they're saying, hey, look, we're going into the land, and every family is supposed to have an inheritance in the land, but our father's dead, and he had no sons. You know, are, are we just going to be left out? Is my father's name going to be forgotten? And he took it, Moses took it before the Lord, and the Lord said, no that the daughters of Zeolophad, they shall have an inheritance. Now, there's a few things that are very interesting here. Now, um, the singular, singular case here of the daughters of Zeolophad, the, um, it actually caused an additional law to be added to Scripture, to be added to the law of Moses. And that's pretty interesting because there's um, one of the things that's very curious here, and now follow this along, in the Hebrew, you can't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew text, they, them, and their, you and your, are either masculine or feminine depending upon the noun that it's associated with. Okay, you got that? We don't have that in the English, but those, you, when, when you say your, they, them, and so forth, there's either a masculine attachment or there's a feminine attachment. In fact, it's hen and hem. And... Um, the interesting thing is, when God, through Moses, is given, giving the judgment to the daughters of Zeolophat, he speaks in the masculine to them. And that's interesting, because what the Lord is saying, they have the same rights as a man. Instead of speaking to them, these daughters, in the feminine tense, he speaks to them in the masculine tense, saying they have the same rights as far as the inheritance of the land. And to me, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Now, the daughters of Zeolophad, um, they're claiming that they deserved a portion of the promised land. And, of course, for you and I, it's an illustration that we as Gentiles also can claim a portion in the promised land in the fact of going to heaven. Because Zeolophad's daughters, of course, uh, claiming to have a, a, a right to the land is a a very direct prophecy of the right you and I are going to have as Gentiles because women before this time were not allowed to have possession of property on their own. And before Jesus Christ, none of us had opening into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to read uh, verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Is that not chapter 11? Chapter 8, verses 16 and 17? Try that one. 
I stayed up too late last night watching fireworks. <laughs> How about chapter 8, verses 16 through 17? The Spirit himself, and of course it's capital uh, S and, a, and capital H, talking about the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, little s, our spirit, uh, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So we have to understand, just like it tells us earlier in Romans, branches were broken off, original branches were broken off that we might be grafted in. And in this portion of Romans, it tells us we're joint heirs. You and I, as an heir, we have an inheritance. That's what an heir is. And our inheritance through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, is eternal life in heaven. I mean, I don't think we take enough time to recognize or to even contemplate what we have in store for us. You know, this life, as much as we enjoy it and as many good times as we have, we also have our difficulties, we have our infirmities, we have problems, we have different things that we deal with. In heaven, there will be none of that. And people say, well, gee, that sounds too much like heaven. Well, it is. <laughs> and to understand there's no more tears in heaven, no more sorrow, no more infirmities. As a matter of fact, if we die, Scripture says, we're, if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord, but that spiritually... But one day, it won't only be our spirit that's with the Lord. We're going to have glorified bodies. One day, when Jesus Christ calls for his church, it tells us the dead in Christ will rise first. And then after that, we who are left and still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And there we shall be with him forevermore. What a blessing that is. I mean, this isn't just fiction. This is reality. Anyone who has been a believer and has died before us, they're already in the presence of God. But one day we will all have glorified bodies, as Jesus had, that we might be able to worship the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. No distractions from the world and from the flesh. Can you imagine how wonderful that's going to be? To me, the greatest joy I, I have is when we have a time of just worship. You know, we're worshiping before the Lord, and our, our, our heart is just out of this world. It's in the presence of God, and it's so great. Can you imagine it's going to be that way all the time with none of the hindrances of the flesh? You know, I've, I'm standing up here, and i got a knee brace on, and when I'm singing, I'm kind of like, uh, none of that. I'm going to have a glorified body. I'm going to have a new body, and I'm going to be able to just stand before the Lord and worship him without any hindrance of the flesh. I'm not going to be thinking about this has to be done or that has to be done or where we're going or not going. None of that. We're just going to be in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of one another and the holy angels forever and ever. That's the promise of God. It's so amazing. Now, one of the things that's interesting as far as Zeolophad and his daughters is um, I decided to do a little study in it and there's actually a salvation message that's found in this genealogy. And when Pastor Frank was covering Genesis and he was giving the genealogy from Adam and he brought out the fact that you have the whole salvation in the genealogy by the, you know, the, the meaning of the actual names. So if you want to look at the names of Zeolophad and his daughters, you can kind of follow along. Zeolophad in the Hebrew, here's what it means. The shadow of fear or dread. That's what Zeolophad means. 
His uh, first daughter, Mahela, means infirmity. Can you imagine having that name? Hey, infirmity, you want to come here a minute? But you have to understand, many and, and most of the Jewish names had a meaning to it. Okay? The second daughter, Noah, means wandering. The third, Milcah, means turning about or dancing for joy. And Hogla means a queen or bride. And then the last name, Terzah, means well-pleasing or acceptable. So now if you put that together, we are born physically in the shadow of fear and death. Our sins and infirmities are obvious. And we then start wandering. Why? Looking for the truth. When we find the truth, we are dancing with joy because we have become his bride, and he makes us well-pleasing to him. So right there, in those names, you have the whole salvation message. We're born sinners, and then we realize of the infirmities of all of our sin, which makes us very sad, and we start searching. I think people are always searching. When you see people out there in the world who even those who aren't believers, they're always searching for something. Have you ever noticed people always want a cause? They want something that's greater than themselves, something beyond themselves. They're looking for a cause. And we look at some of the causes people attach themselves to, and we think, oh, that's crazy. But they're looking for something. But the reality is those of us that started looking and we found Jesus Christ Wow, all of a sudden we had hope. And then when we committed our life to Jesus Christ, man, we were dancing with joy. And all that was just a preparation of what the Lord was going to do in using us as his ministers, but also preparing us for heaven, where we are going to be joint heirs with Christ. That's our royalty that we're going to have in him. It's absolutely amazing. And if you take notes, write down Hebrews 2.15 and Revelation 1.6. Hebrews 2.15 and Revelation 1.6. And it points out our final promises with the Lord. Now, women in Israel up to this point had no distinct right in inheritance. None. And uh, it was really kind of a very frightening thing because um, in their hardness of heart, If a man wasn't pleased with his wife, all he had to do was walk around her three times and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and they're divorced. And then the guy could go off with some other, you know, honey. (laughs) But the problem is that woman that was left behind had nothing. And we find as we go on in Scripture, even that was changed. But God is someone who cares about the rights of all people, including the rights of women. And this, that's why this is such a beautiful example of how God is saying that the daughters have the same rights as the sons. Now, women in Israel up to this point, they literally w- were without any law protecting them. But this law was written. In fact, we're reading it. And it was an ordinance that was tested under Joshua's reign after they came into the Holy Land, and Joshua upheld this judgment from God, giving giving women this kind of right. Now, these women, I believe, would have had to have been very brave. I mean, think about it. They stood before Moses and Aaron and Eleazar in 
the, in, the, in the presence of the Holy of Holies at the tabernacle, the most holy, sacred place you could stand. It'd be like our Supreme Court, in a sense, only way, way, way higher. But they stood there in order to state their case. I mean, what courage that would have taken. I mean, it could have gone very bad for them. You know, fire could have broken out from, you know. But the courage that they had, because in their heart of hearts, they knew what they were saying was right. And probably the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. So these women had, had great courage to stand before this solemn assembly. And one of the things that's interesting is they made it clear that their father was not involved in Korah's rebellion. Because if you recall, Korah's rebellion was, was actually to, to bring into conflict whether only Aaron and his sons could minister before the Lord. God had selected a priesthood, and so in them challenging that, they were challenging God. And so we know what happened in Korah's rebellion. The earth opened up and swallowed 125 of them. And uh, that was direct rebellion against God. So that's why I believe uh, Zelophehad's daughters were making the point, our father wasn't part of Korah's rebellion. But then they go on to say, but he died in his own sin. Now, last week we talked about the fact that there was no one who entered into the promised land over 57 years old. And people say, where did you get that from? That's quite a dogmatic statement to make. No, it's not, because 37 years earlier, when they sent the 10 spies, the 12 spies into the promised land, and they came back, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, let's go in and take it. The other 10 spies said, well, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, but we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. We could never defeat them. And they convinced all the fighting men not to go in. And so the fighting men were those 20 and above. And so the father here of these daughters, Zeolophat himself, would have been one of those that refused to go into the promised land. And so he was under his own sin, because remember what God said? No one under 20 would enter in at that time of the rebellion, 37 years earlier. None of them would enter in, none of them, because they rebelled against God, because they did not believe God. They lacked faith, because God said, go in and take the land, but they said, no, we're afraid. And so that whole generation... God said would die off in the wilderness and their children would go in. So when they're saying our father died in his own sins, it was because of his lack of faith in being willing to go into the promised land. But it speaks something to us as well. There's no man or woman, when I say man, I mean mankind, there's no man who dies of their father's sins. We die of our own sin. There's a verse of Scripture that actually tells us that a father is not responsible for the sins of the son and the son is not responsible for the sins of the father. We're responsible for our own sin. And that's the reason, as believers, you don't look back. You know what happens when you look back? When you're supposed to be moving forward, you walk into walls. You trip and fall in holes. We're responsible for ourselves and for our generation. That's what we're responsible for. And so the reality is, that now you had a new generation coming up, and those were the ones that would enter in. And so those that were below 20, 37 years earlier, the only ones that would enter in, the oldest of them now would only be 57 years old, which most of us consider pretty young today. 
Now, um, I just think of the courage that it would have taken for these young women to stand before God and a new law was written. That anyone under similar circumstances had a precedent that they could go back on to declare their rights. And um, if there were an existing law up to this point, then their plea would have been pointless. And so that's why we know this was a brand new law. And uh, like I said, this matter comes up again in Joshua, and Joshua completely upholds it. And one of the other things, besides the courage, I think that the personal character of these women must have uh, been wonderful. I think it would have been very weighty in their willingness and their ability to come before uh, Moses and, and uh, Aaron and Eleazar. And I think we have to realize that you and I need to have the character of Christ. I mean, do you understand these women had the courage to go and stand before the Holy of Holies. You and I have the courage to go and stand before the throne of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The thing is, none of us are righteous on and of our own. Not, none of us, well, we're just so holy and wonderful, you know, of course we can go before God. None of us are, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you and I, by calling on the name of the Lord, Scripture tells us we've been washed clean. Scripture tells us we are a new creation. Because I'll tell you what, the old Frank, if he stood before the Lord, had no hope. And I'm not talking about my son. I'm talking about me. He's a young Frank anyway. But... The old Frank, if I stood before the Lord on the day of judgment, I have no hope. And the reality is, I don't stand before the Lord with confidence today because somehow I've become so wonderful. People make that mistake. Yeah, and, and this is a, a, like a false testimony, I think, that people give and don't even realize it. Yeah, before I got saved, I was a really bad guy, and now that I've got saved, I'm a really great guy. Well, I'm hoping you're improving, and I'm hoping you're better, but I can tell you something right now. You're still a sinner, saved by grace. All of us are. And that is the confidence that we need to have is in him, not in and of ourselves. Because there's been a law written in heaven, and that law is anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who commits their life to Jesus Christ will receive the filling of his Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? We're born again of the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God dwells in our cardiac, our heart, our inner man. Because when we're born of the Spirit, it's not just some, oh, some saying, some phrase we use. We really are. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God dwells within your heart as a sign, seal, and deposit of our belonging to God. You know, my two youngest grandchildren, my two youngest granddaughters, they uh, are saving for a hoverboard. And how they're saving for a hoverboard is they're collecting bottles. <laughs> and so Nan and Pop-Pop have to start putting bottles in bags and stuff like that. And In fact, uh, um, last week, I took them to Tops in Fayetteville, and they had garbage bags of um, bottles and cans. And... I think we're there 45 minutes. They're putting it into the machine, you know, five cents, five cents, five cents, five cents. Now, 
Why were they putting those bottles and cans in? What was the purpose of it? There was a deposit on it. And so when it says we have deposit, it means we're going to be returned. We're going to be returned, returning to God in heaven for all eternity. We belong to the Lord. And that's just such a promise that we have from God. And, um, and one of the things that we have to understand is that when Moses and Aaron and Eleazar brought this petition before the Lord, it's not that the Lord had to be convinced. The Lord already knew. <clears throat> he knows the beginning from the end. He already knew the equality of all people. He already knew that. But he was using this as his opportunity to make it known to mankind. You see what I'm saying? And uh, because God never has to be convinced of what is right. You know what I mean? When you go before the Lord... Well, you know, the fervent prayer, and that's what some people teach this. You know, if you pray fervently enough, you can get whatever you want. If you pray fervently enough, you're going to receive what God wants for you to have, and you'll appreciate it. You follow what I'm saying? There are times that God doesn't answer the prayers as we ask them, but his answer is much better for us. There's a country western song, you've probably heard it, and uh, it's a... Thank God for unanswered prayer. I don't know if you ever heard that song. But there's so many times I thank God for an unanswered prayer. There have been things in my life that I really, I was sure this is what the Lord wanted. And I prayed, oh, God, I'm praying in faith that you give this to me. Da, 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 da. And I didn't get it. And then down the road I look and I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In all of my ineptness and in all of my selfishness and all of my pride i was seeking after something that i didn't get and i'm so thankful that i didn't get it and there are other times that there are things that we pray for and the lord gives it to us in a different way because understand that when we are taking our petitions before the lord what we should really be saying is lord what's good for me i don't even know what do I need in my life, Lord? You show me your direction, and I'm willing to take it. And when we do that, God is going to show us his direction. He's going to give us the ability, the dunamis. That's, you know, you should receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek there is dunamis. It means the ability to do, and some people say the ability to do what? To, to the ability to do anything God wants you to do. If God gives you his dunamis for whatever he desires for you to do, you can do it. That's the promise of God. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to trust the Lord, even with all of our scatterbrained minds and all of our infirmities, that that's why your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today your will for our lives, Lord. That's what our prayer should be. Because he knows better than we do. You, you know, I think you guys all agree with that. And uh, <clears throat> we often err, I believe, when we fail to realize that God not only knows the beginning from the end of all world history, he knows our beginning and he knows our end. He knows, Scripture tells us, the number of our days. Well, how can God know the number of our days? Because he's God. And he knows the number of our days. And yet, sometimes we fail to just put that life, our life, into his hands. I'm talking about believers now. 
I mean, so often as believers, we just make our plans. We make our own plans of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And you re remember that verse of Scripture? We should be saying, the Lord willing. The Lord willing. I'll go here or I'll go there. Because he is more than able to establish his purpose in humanity and in our lives. And you know, in these days we're living in, <clears throat> it's very weird out there. It's a weird world, and we have to understand, but it has no effect on our primary, primary responsibility or ability to share our faith. That is what we need to be doing, because we're living, even in our nation, so much immorality has come in that it's almost, you know, suffocating, but yet we still have the right to share our faith. We should make the most of every opportunity, and anyone... Even anyone here, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you need to. Because there are only two types of people in the entire world. Those that are saved and those that need to be saved. And so we need to be willing to take that heart of salvation to the world around us. Because how do you know the person you're talking to, the person you're giving encouragement to, maybe that isn't the very thing that turns them from all the darkness of this life into his wondrous light. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this portion and the encouragement that it gives us as far as you're seeing all men and all women as equal. And we are joint heirs with Christ, and we have the promise of eternal life. And yet, in this life, we all have the Great Commission. Every one of us, every man, woman, and child who knows you, Lord, we have the Great Commission of sharing our faith with all we come in contact with. And so now, Father, bless and anoint the study of your word that it might be applied to our heart and spirits and we would be your ambassadors in this dark world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.